Growing tension and aggression in the early pages of the Book of Mormon led the prophet Nephi to separate himself and his people from his brothers. It's no wonder then that so much of his record is dedicated to teaching the people in future generations of the peace and joy found only in Christ. Through the words of Isaiah, Nephi shares a profound personal witness and vibrant prophecies of the day when Christ will return to earth to usher in an era of peace. May we, like Isaiah, Nephi, and many others, talk of Christ, rejoice in Christ, and preach of Christ, that our children may know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. I invite you to join us in our study of 2 Nephi chapters 20 through 25 of the Book of Mormon and encourage each of us to seek divine inspiration. Welcome to Come Follow Up. Some of the most difficult times um, are always at the, the loss of a loved one. And uh, um, lost both my parents within a year of each other. The time in my life I needed to find peace was when I had gotten a divorce and my whole life kind of turned upside down. And at that point, like the only thing I could rely on was Christ. Understanding what I believe about the plan of happiness and salvation my anger and frustration actually kind of turned to joy. And even though it's been three years, I still have moments where it's hard. And we're going to have moments like that in this life. But for me, just remembering to trust in His plan for me helps me when those dark feelings come and I can feel His love and light. Welcome, everybody, to our discussion today on 2 Nephi chapters 20 through 25 of the Book of Mormon. My name is Ben Lomu and I'm your host. Our gospel scholar today is Joseph Spencer. Joseph is a philosopher and an associate professor of ancient scripture at BYU. He and his wife, Karen, live with their five children in Provo, Utah. Joseph, welcome. Yeah, thanks, glad to be here. And seated next to Joseph are our special guests, Chris and Mikkel Williams. Chris and Mikkel have been married for 15 years. This is a second marriage for both of them, and together they have been blessed with six children. Chris is the author of Let It Go, a book about finding peace in difficult times. Welcome, Chris and Mikkel. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Our discussion today includes suggested doctrines, topics, and applications from the resource Come Follow Me. Additional study and teaching resources from Come Follow Up are available at byutv.org slash comefollowup and through any of our social media channels. Okay, so for today, we're going to be jumping into these uh, chapters, 75, chapters 20 to 25. Joe, can you give us a little bit of background overall of what these chapters entail? Yeah, sure. So we've got here uh, the prophet Nephi. For chapters, has been quoting uh, Isaiah at some length, uh, and we're getting the tail end of his quotation there. Uh, Isaiah's own prophecies here are addressed to situations in his own time, his own history, uh, things happening with massive empires in the ancient Near Eastern setting. Uh, and Nephi is likening them, it's his favorite word, mm -hmm. likening them to things he's seen in vision regarding the last days, and especially the gathering of his brother's children, the Lamanites in the last days, uh, and Gentile involvement in that, uh, as well as then all of that opening on to the coming of Christ again and peace spreading across the world. So the first part of this conversation that we're going to discuss, we're primarily going to stay in chapters 21 and 22, focusing on our first topic. 
I can find peace in Jesus Christ. Can you add a little more specific to that topic within these chapters? Sure, those two chapters are the tail end of a series of chapters kind of telling one large story about the recovery and redemption of this remnant of Israel. And we've got this stump and a rod or a branch growing out of it. That's a nice symbol of Jesus Christ. Uh, and then all of this message of peace, the wolf and the lamb uh, together and uh, the knowledge of the Lord covering the earth. Chris and Mikhail, I'm really excited to get to know you. Uh, Chris, I'm uh, familiar with your story of you, as you've been so open on sharing the peace that you have found through tragedy. And, and I would love to get your take on what is the message that Nephi is trying to get across by quoting Isaiah and focusing on Jesus Christ? I think for me, it's that Jesus Christ wins in the end, that he overcomes everything and that uh, even though we might have trials and tribulations in our lives, if we focus on that, on that eventual redemption, on that eventual conquering over all of the pains and sicknesses and illnesses and trials and tribulations of our lives, that that will get us through. It's kind of that focal light that we can just continue to, to press forward until we get there. And I think when we do that, then it, it keeps our vision not only focused on Christ, but it keeps us from focusing on the things that can distract us mm -hmm. away from Christ and, and can rob us of that peace that we feel. Absolutely, thank you. Mikhail, would you mind uh, giving us a little bit of a background on your story and Chris's story and how it relates to what we're gonna be talking about today in finding peace in Christ? Yes, um, so like was said before, this is a second marriage for both of us and combining our families as two of kids from his first marriage, I have two from my first marriage and together we have two more children. And for those who have blended a family, that requires a lot of peacemaking and a lot of relying on Jesus Christ and having the perspective that it will work out in the end. Thank you. Joe, do you mind if we go into some of these chapters? And I would love to get your, your take on what Nephi through Isaiah is trying to teach us about the peace that comes through Christ. Yeah, so if you look at original chapter breaks in the Book of Mormon, all of 2 Nephi 16 through 22 is one original chapter. It's only in the 1870s that we divide chapters up a little smaller so they uh, are a little more consumable. So this is the very end of that long sequence and we're coming to the climax. And the, the chapter opens with this image of a stem or a stump. It looks like it's, it's dead, there's nothing there. The life is gone, but there's a rod or a branch growing out of its roots. There's new life coming out of what looks like it's dead. Second Nephi 21.1, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And this is this classic image from the prophets of the Messiah, the branch. Find that image in Jeremiah and you can find it in Zechariah. So you've got this image of the Messiah coming out of what looks like dead Israel, right? And then on the other side of that, halfway through chapter 21, we start to get this uh, imagery of the, the recovery of Israel gathering from all kinds of places and Gentiles being involved in interesting ways. What's happened over the previous handful of chapters is Israel's gone through a nightmare situation, just an utter nightmare. Massive empires crushing and destroying and hauling people away. We have refugee situations and we have kings barely trying to hang on to Israel's survival and this kind of thing. And then out of that, this sort of, in some ways, just a total surprise, right? Uh, Christ uh, as a promise to overcome these kinds of things. Chris, how do you feel like the Lord has prepared you and Mikhail to face and overcome some of the challenges that were laid before you? 
So I mean, one of the biggest challenges is in 2007 when my family was hit by a teenage drunk driver and that uh, killing my wife and three of my children. And as I sat in the car, I forgave the driver. Uh, but as I look back in my life about this preparation, I remember a specific instance back in college when I had just bought a car and I was trying to pay for my uh, uh, schooling as well. And um, I had a nice stereo in the car <laughs> and it was parked out in the parking lot where I worked. I came out one night and the stereo was stolen. And I remember just the anger that overcame me and the fury. And I went back in, called the police, went back out, and of course wanted them to come with, light, you know, sirens blaring, right? And Guns ablazing. They, <laughs> they didn't come for quite some time, which was a blessing because um, I found that after a while I got tired of being angry. I got tired of wanting justice. And, and as I looked into this night sky, I remember thinking in my mind an image of two people. And one was me, and all of the blessings were just listed below me of everything that I had had been given. And the other person was a faceless individual and, and they didn't have those blessings. They didn't have the good family and the, you know, the good teachings and upbringing and opportunities that I had had. And I realized that, uh, you know, that, that, that if I continued on that path, it was just a path of destruction for me. Uh, this would over, overwhelm me um, and not bring me the peace. But I prayed and as I prayed, I felt the peace of Jesus Christ, that everything would be okay that it wasn't, a, you know, the stereo, who cares about stereo, that, you know, it's more important for me to have peace in this life. And so, but what was important about that experience is it was a seed that was planted in my heart of forgiveness, of letting it go, of knowing that when difficult trials and tribulations came into my life, I needed to let that seed grow. I needed to let the words of Christ grow in my heart to the point where in 2007, when something much more difficult to, uh, to get through than just a car stereo happened, I was able to, based on what had been growing in my heart, trust in God and, and let it go. Wow, thank you, Chris. Mikhail, what would you say are some of the things that help prepare you to face and overcome the trials that you have faced? I would say that the spiritual preparation that happened in my life, so many times in uh, young women's camps where I had the opportunity to seek and draw upon the power of the Lord, to seek Him in the scriptures, um, and just in my youth, reading the scriptures and feeling the spirit testify of the truthfulness so that I could trust and know that he is my savior and that I can rely on him and trust him. Thank you. How has the Lord prepared you to overcome a challenge that you have faced? Eliana. Well, the Lord prepared me to overcome a, ch a challenge when my husband was unemployed doing the you know, economic uh, depression we had. But three years prior to that, we had started a business of emergency preparedness. And we learned a lot about emergency preparedness and we lived those principles in our home. But somehow when um, a challenge that, like that happens, it seems like money flies out really fast and your food storage does too. But it was just so, I, I saw the hand of the Lord in that preparation where we never starved, but the Lord was always there providing for us the help of the church and everything. But that preparation, it was like a psychological preparation for us and also a physical preparation uh, for us. Like the Lord prepared us to go through that huge challenge. Eliana, how did you feel the Holy Ghost throughout that entire process that gave you the courage to keep moving forward and, and keep exercising faith? Well, uh, the faith of knowing that the companionship of the Holy Ghost, the comfort of knowing that all things will pass and there is, there is eventually an end to things knowing that there was a purpose for that, for that challenge so that we could be prepared to um, 
tell others and help others. And we hope that, you know, our experience can be a strength to others. Eliana, thank you so much for sharing that experience with us. I love what Eliana said about all things come to an end. We get this image as Nephi is talking about this Amidst a lot of conflict, there is this hope of a day of rest, of peace, where a wolf can dwell with a lamb. Can you talk to us a little bit about these chapters and what Nephi is really trying to convey um, through the words of Isaiah of this millennial rest that is to come? Yeah, it's a rich image. Second Nephi 21, six, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and fatling together and a little child shall lead them. But it's a just a marvelous image for what it means for the whole world to be at rest, right? We've got animals that are naturally at odds with each other uh, actually getting along and a little child shall lead them. It's one thing to talk about a lamb and a lion and I'm glad that's happening on the other side of the fence or something like that, right? But, uh, but this picture of just even children playing in the midst of them. And I mean, for a long time, that has become a symbol that's used across religious contexts to talk about peace in the world, right? This is coming. I think there's a knowledge there that throughout the millennial time that uh, there's a knowledge of how to live peacefully that influences not only the relationships between people, but the relationship to our, to the animal kingdom and everything else, that there's a general peace that just um, goes throughout the land because of the knowledge that, that we have of Jesus Christ, of mercy and of, of love and of kindness. I love that you that, that knowledge of Jesus Christ is what brings peace. Mikhail, I'd love to get your thoughts on how have you found peace in sometimes this crazy, contentious world in which we live? Oh, well, I would say um, as a mother in our home, that trying to have peace in our home is one of the hardest things to achieve. <laughs> And I know that there's normal sibling rivalry, but I feel like we had that exponentially in our home in trying to have kids come together who had such different um, experiences and backgrounds. So I feel as though as I've tried to incorporate those teachings of the gospel in our, in our home, in my life, and trying to help my children understand that Christ is the Prince of Peace and that that's how we can bring that into our home by emulating Him and the, the characteristics that He teaches, that that's how we can find peace in our home. Thank you. You know, one of those messages uh, that President Nelson has recently focused on is that of forgiveness and the peace that comes through that. We had a viewer question come in uh, that I'd love to get some of your thoughts, specifically, Chris, on your experience on what this viewer is asking. Hi, my name is Kaylee Hall and I live in Highland, Utah. So I have a friend who is really sweet and I love hanging out with her, but sometimes she can be kind of manipulative and um, rude to m my friends and I. And so I'm just wondering how I can continue to show her love and like forgive her um, over and over again, even though she continues to be rude. Here's a sweet young girl who is really trying to find that peace. What would you tell her to do to, to be able to overcome and forgive? Well, the wonderful blessing is that she has an opportunity to partake of the sacrament every week. And as she partakes of the sacrament, she can have the Spirit with her. And the thing that's beautiful about having the Spirit with us is the Spirit brings humility, teachability, um, forgiveness. It, it brings us to a point where we're more open and sensitive to the tender mercies of, of our Savior Jesus Christ. It helps us to understand Him better. Um, I think the Spirit gives us an expectation of salvation. Um, it's a first comforter in a sense, whereas the second comforter is a, a, an assurance of salvation. 
But with that, I think it's a way of saying, you know, Jesus Christ has my back. Now it's my opportunity to go out and, and make sure that he has somebody else's back as well. So it's an opportunity and an invitation every week as we partake of the sacrament to, to look at people as our Heavenly Father looks at them, to see the divine in them, to see their eternal uh, potential. And I think when we have that kind of a perspective on people, we're much more willing to let go of the, you know, the, the rude things they say or the way they are because we can see into their soul and say, you know, I know you're acting this way today, but I can see you in the future and you're gonna be glorious. And so I can have patience with how you are today in realization of the, of the fullness of that, uh, of that opportunity. Christian, sharing your experience about forgiveness, how have you been able to incorporate uh, that principle into your life? Um, you know, I look at everyone now as somebody that I can learn from, that you know, everyone is my uh, superior in some way, <laughs> as Emerson <laughs> said. Um, but you know, walking through that, I think you get to a point where you can, be, you can do what Moroni um, said when he addressed the, the followers in his day. He said, you know, I can tell that you're a, a disciple of Christ because of your peaceable walk. And every day it's about learning how to have that peaceable walk among the children of men looking at them with charity and love and, and trying to extend the tender mercies that I've received from Jesus Christ in my life, paying it forward to the people that, uh, that need that, that don't have that relationship with Christ and trying to help them to come unto Christ and feel the peace that I'm feeling. It, what's fascinating about that is it doesn't mean that the trials and tribulations or the pain and suffering end in my life, but it gives those trials and tribulations and pains and suffering a purpose. Hmm. It helps me to realize I'm going through this because I'm learning how to be like Jesus Christ or our Heavenly Father. He sends us the rain on the just and the unjust, right. right? And He tells us to pray for those that hate us. Why? Because He is full of love. Wow. And if I, um, if I can cultivate that kind of love in my life, then I will look at people completely differently, especially those that offend me or you know, try to misuse me. Um, I won't be as offended or, or as upset. That's beautiful. Thank you all so much for sharing your thoughts. On our first discussion, I can find peace through Jesus Christ. And for those at home, how can you know and testify that Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace? Share with us online or on any of our social media platforms. I'm almost 75 years old now, and, and I can remember sitting on my mother's knee when I was just a little boy, but she was telling me about how Christ lived, and she had, we had a, a geography book, and she pointed to the geography book and said, Christ lives there. How could I not? believe in Jesus Christ. He has seen me through um, so many difficulties in my life. I believe in Jesus Christ because He gave us the perfect way to follow Him and to return to our Heavenly Father, and I'm grateful that I have that blueprint to follow. The second topic we're going to be talking about today is we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ. And this primarily focuses on 2 Nephi chapter 25. Joe, do you mind catching us up and yeah. giving us a little context to what we're going to be reading? Sure. We're coming down from the high of Isaiah, or <laughs> down to earth maybe. Right? <laughs> uh, Nephi's been quoting Isaiah for 13 chapters, wow. but now he's just wrapped up. Uh, and he's sort of uh, speaking in his own voice again. For about 10 verses, he gives us what he calls his own prophecy. And that's verses 9 through about 19. And it's a big sketch of a lot of history. Once you get to verse 20, he says, I've spoken plainly that ye cannot err. 
He's laid out what's going to happen. He's given us the prophecies, helped us out, right? And then for the rest of this chapter, uh, we get his witness of Christ, and he'll touch down on uh, symbols of Christ. He'll talk about his own laborers and those of those he's working with to help people understand Christ, and he'll talk about the relationship between the law of Moses and Christ, how to understand what that does in pointing us to Christ. And it's here we find, of course, this very often quoted, very famous passage in verse 26. We talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, and we write according to our prophecies that our children may know to what source they may look for remission of their sins. So here we get Nephi as consistently as we ever find him just trying to speak to us of Jesus Christ and how salvation comes in him. Uh, Chris and Mikkel, I would love to get some of your thoughts. And specifically, Mikkel, can you share with us a little bit about how your belief and focus on Jesus Christ helped you overcome the, the big challenge you faced in your life? There was a time in my life, it was, uh, as we said before, I was married before my first husband, Rusty, he was diagnosed with bone cancer. And during that time, I had two small children. I had a two-year-old and a baby, and he was in significant pain, unable to work. He felt completely disconnected with kids, being able to provide for his family, just a, a hard situation on our little family. And it was at that time that I, I really felt like it was the first time I had to know that my belief in Christ was true. There was, I'd gotten, been able to do other situations through determination and grit and willpower, but this was completely out of my control. And I remember just thinking and pondering and reading in the scriptures about the peace that can come through Christ and thinking, is this really real? Do I really believe? And the peace and the hope that came from that as I strived, as I was trying to draw near to Him, I felt that peace, I felt that love, and that belief and that faith carried me as I felt His witness of His love and that peace. And I specifically like this part in um, 2 Nephi 25-23, when he says, We labor diligently to write, to persuade our children, and also our brethren to believe in Christ, to be reconciled to God, for we know that it is by grace that we are saved, after all we can do. And all I could do was try to believe in Christ and work on that belief and have that faith in Him. And I did find that peace, and I did find that comfort through Him. And as additional heartbreaking situations came in that following year through the hospitalizations and the uncertainty and His eventual death, that I was able to feel that peace. It wasn't constant, it would wax and wane, but there was a constant source that I could look towards in my Savior Jesus Christ and my belief in Him. How have you been able to use that experience to then help others and teach others that they can also rely on Jesus Christ? In the next one, it says we talk of Christ, we re rejoice <laughs> in Christ, we prophesy of Christ. Because of that experience, I could share my witness with others that are going through trials and grief and pain, that the Savior will ease our burdens. 
He is there to offer that peace that the world doesn't understand. It is the, only the peace that Christ can give. Chris, have you found it through your experience that there's been a bond or connection between you and Mikkel because you have both developed and built this reliance on Jesus Christ that has brought you together? Absolutely. The term authenticity is thrown out quite a bit these days, but I think that's really what uh, attracted me so much to her, and I think I hopefully her to me, <laughs> is just, you know, from the first times that we started dating, there was just that connection. There was a bond, um, not only of shared, similar shared experiences of, of having lost a spouse, mm -hmm. but also a bond with our Savior Jesus Christ, and that, uh, you know, the, the covenant promises that we have that He has with us, it was interesting to feel that as a, as a physical reality between not only she and I, but um, as we talked of Christ, as we you know, explored the scriptures together, to feel that we as a couple could be bound with Christ. And so that was a good indication to me that this is a relationship that would work because it was founded on something that would be successful. Thank you. I would love to hear from the audience. In what ways do you talk of Christ, rejoice in Christ, or preach of Christ? Matthew. Preaching of Christ or rejoicing Christ is the same thing. I live and work with rural communities in a lot of places. And sharing our stories to each other about how Jesus Christ helps each other or even the simple actions of praising good herd or uh, the grains, here we go, I'm a rancher. That is our praise. That is our communication. That is us praising Jesus for a good crop, good rain. But those, those are the things that make us re remind ourselves, but also makes it so we have to reflect back to, to Jesus. He's our boss. He's kind of telling us, hey, go this way or go this way. He's given us his intent, and we try to do our best for it. And we talk with each other about what has Jesus taught? What have, have the prophets taught us to work the best so we can do the best what God has asked us. Thank you so much for sharing that, Matthew. So sometimes it can be really difficult as we gain our own testimony of Jesus Christ to then help others. What are some things that any of you have done to help persuade others to gain that same passion or testimony of Jesus Christ? Well, I think of the uh, Savior's invitation and maybe admonition that uh, by their fruits you shall know them. And I think when I hear somebody say that you were, you know, I'm not a Christian, I it would be easy to, to kind of react to say, well, wait a second, but I, also, I often um, want to look inward and say, what is it I have done that would give you know, this individual an impression that I'm not a Christian? And so it's an opportunity to kind of review <laughs> my uh, responses, my actions, and just to take a look and say, what have I done that, that would not reflect uh, the light of Christ to others? And so when I look at trying to influence others, I just start with first my actions, my thoughts, just to make sure that everything I do and everything I say would be what the Savior would do mm -hmm. or say in that situation. Um, and then I think if I represent that with love, that, that hopefully my faith is that the light of Christ will shine through me and, and, and impress the individual to, to want to know more. Thank you. And that, that's not always an easy thing, especially when you're in a circumstance where the natural our natural instincts take over and you want to react as, you know, uh, in anger or frustration. In an increasingly contentious world. Absolutely. Uh, Joe, what can you teach us from what Nephi is showing us about believing in Christ that can help us really move forward and get over some of the difficulties that life faces and really believe in Him and what He preaches? 
There's a lot here that we can reflect on, uh, and we've been mentioning a few passages. A few passages we tend to miss or not say as much about verses 24, 25, 27. Kind of ones that surround the, the more, the more well-known ones. Yeah, we exactly. almost forget about the ones surrounding it. These are ones where Nephi is wrestling with the relationship between the law of Moses and the coming Christ, which he's seen in vision. Um, and it's easy for us today, looking back, to say, ah, Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the law. That's, this is kind of an old issue. This is something Nephi had to wrestle with. I don't. But it feels to me like Nephi is nailing down a problem every one of us is dealing with, which is how on earth do I think about the, the responsibility I have to keep commandments, right, and to do the things I've been asked to do, and then grace and atonement of Christ. Like, how do I hold those together? It can feel like... If I start to take my own responsibilities too seriously, I can forget Christ. And if I take Christ too seriously, that's a weird way of putting it, but if I, almost if I throw myself too much on him, then I may start to neglect what I've been called to do. And Nephi wrestles with it beautifully here. What I love uh, about his way of putting it, and this is in verse 27 especially, we speak concerning the law that our children may know the deadness of the law, and they, by knowing the deadness of the law, may look forward unto that life which is in Christ, and know for what end the law was given. And that seems to me to apply to any commandment that comes from God, whether it's the law of Moses way back then or word of wisdom, whatever it is now that I've been asked to keep. It is not I who has to fulfill the commandment in full. It's Christ who does it. And that law has got to draw me to him. That's the end for which the law is given. Not so that I'm somehow enough, but so that it can draw me to him and he will fulfill the law in me. So is that what the term, the deadness in the law is that the... the the point is not to keep that law, it's to draw closer to Christ because yeah. the law will end, but Christ will not. Yeah, one way to put it is uh, to say that the law is dead is to say, if we have the law apart from Christ, it's a dead letter, okay. right? But if it's in Christ, then he fills it with life and it becomes something that gives me life and possibility. McCallum and Chris, as you read these verses and that heavy, heavy, heavily focused on Christ, are there any of those verses that stand out to you that you kind of used as a go-to to help you in, in times of, of need or to help comfort you or lift you as you've gone through some of the challenges of life, not only from what you faced earlier, but moving forward as well? Yeah, I think when, uh, as I've read these verses that surround the, the famous verse, I just try and apply that to my life to know that there might be difficult trials and tribulations, that I might be tempted to kind of look to God and shake my fist and say, why? Why do I have to go through this? But what, as I read these scriptures, it helps me, and, and reflect on that story from Nephi, it helps me to understand that, that God is the giver of all good things. He is merciful and kind. And if there's something that I'm going through or something he's asking me to go through or to endure or to submit to, that I have to exercise faith in Christ that he knows best and will help me through it. It kind of puts me in my place in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, I can be tempted to think I know everything and I've got a handle on everything when God just kind of looks at that and laughs and says, I have no idea <laughs> uh, what's in store for me. And so as I trust in Christ, as I trust in God, um, I can have that assurance that everything will not only work out, but it'll be for the absolute best. And that helps me keep moving forward. Mikhail, any final thoughts? Well, I just, I really like when it talks about how we talk of Christ and we rejoice in Christ. And if we aren't rejoicing in our lives, then something must be amiss in how we are interpreting Christ. Because He offers joy. He offers goodness and peace. 
And so when we center our lives on Christ, we should be rejoicing in Christ. Thank you all for your comments and for sharing your thoughts and testimonies on our second topic. We talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ. And for the audience, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your experiences as well. And for you at home, we still have much to cover in footnotes, so please stay with us. I find that when the Spirit is speaking to me, I feel teachable, I feel humble, I feel more at peace. Um, I feel more like a little child. And so when I have those emotions or have those thoughts of, of being teachable and open and loving and kind and forgiving, I know the Spirit is speaking to me. When the Spirit speaks to me, it's not anything anxious. It's something very comforting and I feel a peace. I feel like there's literally somebody hugging me. Uh, there's literally somebody there saying, it's gonna be all right. It's good, don't worry about it, we're okay. I feel the Spirit best when I put myself in quiet situations where I can feel His love and His promptings in my heart and in my mind. It's taken me half a lifetime to sort out my voice from His voice, but I'm getting better at it, and I think I'm better at it because I have learned to act on the impressions that I have been given. And as I act on those impressions, they become more clear and I understand them. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions from 2 Nephi chapters 20 through 25 with Joseph, Chris, and Mikkel. Okay. I know there's a lot of really good things in here that we haven't covered that we want to, you know, jump back to. Where are some places we can go? Is there anywhere you want to start us off with within these uh, chapters? Oh, to start off, um, I, I'm wondering if we want to start off with uh, what's happening here in the second half of chapter okay. 21. Original chaptering makes a difference in how we interpret Isaiah, I think, uh, in the Book of Mormon. When Joseph Smith dictated the text of the Book of Mormon, he dictated uh, chapter breaks as part of the dictation, but they're not the chapter breaks we use today. They were made shorter in the 1870s under the direction of Brigham Young by Orson Pratt. Uh, and those are the chapters we know today. They're made for citation and these kinds of things. Uh, and it's really handy. But if you look at original chaptering, it sometimes is very helpful for understanding the text. And all of 2 Nephi 16 through 22 is originally one chapter. Oh, wow. Uh, in fact, the whole of this long block of Isaiah, we tend to read it as, yeah, 13 chapters, chapter. But it was actually just three original chapters. So Nephi divides us up into just three parts. So what we're getting here in chapters 21, 22, we're at the end of that long chunk uh, that is just one original chapter. Um, and that can be very helpful. And part of what's happening over all of those chapters, if you take them together as a chunk, those seven chapters together, we're telling a story about how Israel faces down this massive empire, Assyria, and is reduced to just a remnant. That's the word that gets used over and over, just a remnant of itself. But then in chapters 20, 21, we're watching the remnant get recovered. Uh, in that day, this is verse 10, there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left. And he names this whole series of places. 
uh, and then verse 12, and he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Here we get this very climactic description of gathering and all the bits and pieces of Israel from all over, but Gentiles involved as well. Uh, and this is this climax of the story Isaiah has been telling. I feel like there's such a strong message of the gathering that we see President Nelson, the Lord is hastening his work to gather Israel. The gathering is the most important thing taking place on the earth today. Nothing else compares in magnitude, nothing else compares in importance, nothing else compares in majesty. Is this what we're alluding to, this yeah. overall gathering of Israel that is happening right now? Yeah, exactly, and Nephi having seen in vision the gathering of his own children and his brother's children, right, uh, is taking Isaiah and saying, oh, let this be the pattern for our understanding of what's gonna happen with Lehi's children in the last days. President Nelson's uh, words there, I've been teaching at BYU for seven years, and Abrahamic covenant stuff, Israel's gathering has always been really important for me. And so the first couple of years I was at BYU, uh, I'm teaching a lot of this stuff, and students would constantly say, like, does this matter? What does this have to do with anything? They'd come up after class. If this is so important, why am I not hearing this in general conference? And actually I could say at the time, you should be reading Elder Nelson, right? Listen to his talks, listen to his talks. But when he became the president of the church, this came out with real force. I don't get those questions from students wow. anymore. They just, they are tuned into this topic uh, already because of the prophet's direction. Chris and Mikhail, what are some of your thoughts as you are both together raising a family uh, in this era of high focus on the gathering, how are you able to teach your children the importance of it? Well, I think of my experience. So um, in 2007, I'm serving as a bishop and uh, we're, my family and I are going out to get a treat and then all of a sudden we're hit by a 17-year-old teenage uh, drunk driver who's also a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And as I forgave him, um, I think it was wonderful how the Spirit kind of started to work on me to help me understand that this individual, even though he had made a poor choice, is my brother. Wow. And um, when I, in context of this gathering, um, suddenly it became about what can I do then, to, uh, having forgiven him, to reach out to him to, in, to ensure that he makes it. For me, the gathering became more of a focus on binding others to one another and to me then it was about just me focusing on just my family and trying to make sure that we're saved. So it became a much larger um, endeavor and a much larger uh, area of focus for me than, than just that. And so that's what I take from this is when I think of the gathering, I think of how can all of us as brothers and sisters, children of our heavenly father be bound to one another and bound to Christ so that at the last day he can lift us up, present us back to the heavenly, our heavenly father as one unified um, Zion family. Thank you. Mikhail? I love that President Nelson clarified that any time that you're doing anything, helping anybody so on either side of the veil, that you're helping to gather Israel. It doesn't have to be that you're on the computer indexing, <laughs> that when we share stories about our ancestors, we are helping to gather Israel, or that when we are sharing our light, our goodness with other people and serving them in any capacity that we're helping to gather Israel. You know, that's a really good point because sometimes it can be overwhelming. At least for me, I've always thought that I was a failure because I'm not out being more proactive and sharing the gospel when my, 
my career, my full-time job is standing in front of people and preaching uh, and teaching about Jesus Christ and sharing my testimony, or even just in our everyday lives, I can help gather Israel by being a good example, by spreading that light. Yeah. So there's a verse that I, I wanted to ask you about, Joe, and, and get, of course, your, your thoughts on it. And Second uh, Nephi chapter 25, verse 23, for we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. Yeah. Yeah, it's a passage that can be taken in the wrong way, right? Uh, we can hear it and think, oh, then here's this massive list. After I've done all of that, then God's love kicks in, yeah. right? Then God comes to my aid and saves me. Not remotely the meaning of the passage, right? <laughs> so I think it's one we do have to read carefully. One thing I think we can say right out of the gate is that we have a tendency to hear in the phrase, after all we can do, we hear in it, after we do all we can. But that's different wording, right? It doesn't say we're saved by grace after we do all we can. It's after all we can do. Uh, that's the kind of phrase I might use when I talk about my pathetic contribution to something. Well, after all I did, you really came in and saved me on this, okay. <laughs> right? And that seems to be the way that he's using it. Um, in fact, just 15 chapters earlier, it's probably worth just looking at this passage. This is his brother Jacob, which Nephi has quoted in his own record. So this is 2 Nephi 10, verse 24. Nephi seems to be borrowing Jacob's own language here. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, reconcile yourselves to the will of God. We saw that same language there. And not to the will of the devil in the flesh. And remember after you're reconciled unto God, that it is only in and through the grace of God that you are saved. Notice he uses after as well. And the all you can do thing here is replaced by you're reconciled unto God. All we can do here is stop fighting, wow. <laughs> stop running from God. And then he says, at that point, don't forget. Don't forget, remember that it is only in and through the grace of God that you're saved. If Nephi means the same thing, and I think he does, what he's saying is not, you've got to do this much and then God comes in. He's saying, the second you've finally gotten over yourself, <laughs> come back to the God you're running from, don't at that point start patting yourself on the back and thinking you did something special. God is the one carrying you. Grace was there. Every step of the way. Every step of the way. Did you guys see that in your experience? Yes, I had a great, um, my Relief Society president helped me a lot as I was going through this and she, she says, have you read in the Bible dictionary the definition of grace? And I remember looking that up and, and seeing grace as the enabling power of Jesus Christ. And I thought about how I was relying completely on what I thought I needed and that His grace, His power was there and that I hadn't been relying on it. And so, it was just a, a gentle, loving reminder that I needed to get over myself mm -hmm. and rely on the Savior. It was through His grace that I was going to be able to do that. And it's only through His enabling power that I was able to continue and move forward through that experience. Oh, and for me, I, uh, I loved a mountain bike. I had an experience where I was biking up a trail and there was this uh, very fine kind of dust that was floating in front of my front tire as I'm climbing up. And I thought it was kind of fascinating the way it was billowing out there. 
And I'm, as I'm looking at it, I had the thought come to my mind, that dust is more obedient than you are. Wow. <laughs> and so I thought of the, my own nothingness. <laughs> it put me in my place to realize that the only thing that I could really put on the altar to offer up was my will. And that once I had done that, there really wasn't much more that I could say, hey, look at me, what a, you know, what a wonderful thing I did. You know, it wasn't about anything I did. It was really all I could do is just offer up my will. And then Jesus Christ did the rest. So what did I have to kind of puff myself or vaunt myself up about? Nothing. I'm, I need to be as obedient or <laughs> as the dust and, and not uh, think that I'm any that's such great thing. So it keeps you humble. Yeah, it sure does. It's nice that this comes on hard on the heels of all this Isaiah stuff. Because it's easy for us to recognize, I don't know, these countries and what does this have to do with anything, right? We can feel very confused and so on. The story of Israel that Isaiah tells is that very same story, right? I, uh, Isaiah talks about Israel wandering, going afar astray, and then bad stuff comes and they get reduced to just a remnant of themselves. And then God in utter grace, right? And because he's bound himself by covenant to them, mm -hmm. comes and pulls them out of that. Like Israel's story is my story. And it's every one of our story, right? Uh, it can feel complicated because it's all these nations and all these complex geographical locations and so on and weird poetic language sometimes. But it's really that simple. Israel has wandered and God comes out and finds them and says, stop running from me. Come back. Let's do this again. I have bound myself to you. I love it. We have a lot of uh, Isaiah prophecies uh, in, these, in this block. Are there some that you are particularly passionate about or that you think would, would benefit those that have not dedicated so much time to studying the, to understand a little more? I mean, one passage we might connect this to that we haven't, haven't actually mentioned at any, any point in the discussions today. This is back in chapter 20, but it's one of my favorite lines from Isaiah. It's chapter 20, verse 22. The first part of the verse, he's talking about this idea of the remnant returning. But this, it's the last line of the verse that I find really powerful. The consumption decreed, all this disaster that's been prophesied, shall overflow with righteousness. I mean, we've just watched the chapters we haven't read for today. These are from a previous one, right? But the chapters that describe just this disaster that Israel goes through at the hands of these empires and so on. But this word, the consumption, all this disaster will overflow with righteousness. God doesn't hear make these disasters happen, but man, can he do something with them, right? He can pick them up wow. and transform them and consecrate them and something so awful that God foresaw, but he can nonetheless make it overflow with righteousness. And, and literally justice is the word in Hebrew, right? Make it overflow with justice. From what we, we, we have a wealth of beautiful scriptures within this block. Are there any uh, verses or chunks of verses that stand out to you that you wanna get some clarification or just even share your thoughts on? One scripture that I really like is 2 Nephi chapter 24, verse three. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall give thee rest from thy sorrow and from thy fear and from the hard bondage wherein thou wast made to serve. After all this destruction that has happened, Isaiah is saying that the Lord is coming to give you rest. But although the Lord gives rest, he doesn't take away that sorrow and the fear and the bondage, but that he will give you that rest so that you can overcome and ease that burden of the sorrow and the fear and the bondage. So are you saying that there is value in the struggle <laughs> and going through those, some of those things, Michael? <laughs> Absolutely, there is value in the struggle. Okay, so tell me, tell us, uh, what, is some of the, what are some of the lessons or what strength have you received from going through some of that struggle? Yeah, um, I feel like 
uh, my soul has been enhanced. Mm. I feel like I am a different person because I have been able to struggle and go through something extremely difficult that makes it so that I can connect and empathize with others who are going through extremely difficult circumstances. And it doesn't need to be exactly the same as um, cancer, death, uh, having significant challenges that way, but, but to be able to connect with those who are going through that sorrow, going through that heartache, and to be able to testify that the Lord offers rest. He can strengthen your soul. He can give you peace. That's beautiful, thank you. Joe, do we see an element of that within these chapters with Isaiah, Nephi, and their experience? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking as you were talking of the very last line we get from Isaiah at the end of the long quotation. So it's chapter 24, verse 32. What shall then answer the messengers of the nations that the Lord hath founded Zion and the poor of his people shall trust in it? The very last word Nephi gives us from Isaiah here is this one where God will establish this and it's all those who have been missing out. He's gonna make something of this, right? Transform it. Uh, I think it's, his, it's the, the send-off right there, right? In fact, one of my favorite scriptures is just goes, goes perfectly along with these, and it's in uh, chapter 20 of 2 Nephi, verse 27. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck. So whether that's a burden of bondage or a, perhaps a, if you liken it to us, it's a burden of sin, a burden of, of disbelief, of not knowing, of, of trial and trouble and, and kind of wondering. It says that, that'll all be taken off from us and that uh, the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. And that's the part I just absolutely love is that because of that unction or anointing, that because we've bound ourselves to Christ, that he will come in and remove the sin, the trial, the tribulation, the problems, the angst, the, you know, whatever it is that's holding us down, he'll remove that from off of our backs and our shoulders and lift us up and uh, redeem us. So. Um, it, it, it doesn't happen immediately, which means mm -hmm. we, have to, we have to have patience. We have to keep moving forward. We can't give up. But that's what I love about the scriptures is they give us that ability to know that, that Jesus Christ has our back. He knows what's coming. He knows the end from the beginning. And if we just continue to hold to that rod or to hold to him, that it all will work out. I love that image of the, the yoke will be removed because in Matthew, we read about how um, we're invited to, to take his yoke upon us because eventually well, I'll take it off together. You know, you, you pull, I'll pull with you and we'll get there. And then eventually you will have that day of rest and that yoke will be removed. Anything else, uh, Joe, that you wanna teach us from these chapters? I'll throw one more thing on the table. Sure. For what it's worth. This is at the end of 2 Nephi 25. This is where Nephi has just been talking about the law of Moses, its deadness and looking forward to Christ. So this is verse 28. It says, and now behold my people, Ye are a stiff-necked people, wherefore I have spoken plainly unto you that ye cannot misunderstand. That's something we like after having read Isaiah. Yeah. <laughs> but then he says this, And the words which I have spoken shall stand as a testimony against you, for they are sufficient to teach any man the right way. For the right way is to believe in Christ and deny him not. For by denying him, ye also deny the prophets and the law. He reiterates in verse 29, Now behold, I say unto you that the right way is to believe in Christ and deny him not. Christ is the Holy One of Israel. What I like about this passage in part is that he's been talking about the law and he's worried, boy, we're, we're hundreds of years off from this being fulfilled. Can you hold these things in balance right? Can you hold the law in the right way that you anticipate Christ, but hold on Christ so that you don't just some, somehow let go of the law? Can you hold these together? He seems to have been right to worry because within a generation, we get the story of Sherem in Jacob chapter seven. And uh, Sherem will use this very same phrase, the right way, 
but he'll use it to say the right way is to embrace the law and deny the Messiah. Wow. So Nephi, he really, like he's nailed down a very hard thing for us to know how to hold. Uh, and I think it's, it's a beautiful passage. He keeps just reiterating, the right way is whatever else, believe in Christ and make sure you can see the law or whatever else it is, every struggle, every trial, make sure you can see it through the lens of Christ because that is the only way you can hold all these things right. What final thoughts or final testimony would you give as we focus on Jesus Christ? How is that your focus on Jesus Christ kind of paved the way for your life? Oh, it's been everything. It's, it's, I mean, I can't, I guess it's to a point where I can't dissociate, you know, previously to, to how it would have been without Christ. I just, mm -hmm. I, I can't think of my life without Christ. And so, I mean, for me, as I read through Isaiah, it's just, I mean, I just know that God, God wins. I think I could say the same of Revelations as I read through that or try to at least, you know, I come away with a sense that, you know what, God wins at the end. And I just, I need, if I know the outcome of the game, I just, <laughs> I better make the right decision that's now right. because that's how it's going to end up. There's no other way that it's going to end up. So, um, so it means everything. It's, it's everything. I know that Christ lives. Mikhail, you get the last word. <laughs> Well, I just wanted to add on to what uh, Joseph was saying in that highly misunderstood verse in 2 Nephi 25, 23. Mm. Um, and just to point out that as Nephi is giving this summary and explaining it, he says, we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also br our brethren to believe in Christ, to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. And I believe that what he means when he says that is believe in Christ. Because earlier in this chapter, in, in verse 14, he says, believe in his name. In verse 16, he says, believe in Christ, the Son of God. And again, believe in Christ and worship the Father in his name. And at the end of that verse, believe these things. So he says this five times before he talks about believing in Christ and being reconciled to God. And so I believe that when he wrote that at the end, after all we can do, that that's what he meant is that that's all we can do is believe in Christ. And then again, reiterates that in just a few verses later, the right way is to believe in Christ. The right way is to believe in Christ. That's so beautiful. It has been an absolute pleasure getting to know the both of you and your story and to just feel of your goodness. And I, I really do believe that there are those out there that will hear your story and, and see your faith and be driven to, as you said, believe in Christ. Joe, it's been wonderful to hear from you as well and get to know uh, the passion that you have. I feel so much more comfortable going in and studying Isaiah. So really, this has been a wonderful discussion as we focused on Jesus Christ and what he can do in all of our lives. Thank you all for sharing your thoughts and insights with us today. Thank you for joining us at home for this discussion from 2 Nephi chapters 20 through 25. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions you've received. Come Follow Up is a learning and teaching resource. In addition to full episodes, you can find clips, artwork, quotes, and more available for free anytime at byutv.org slash comefollowup. Please join us next week as we study 2 Nephi chapters 26 through 30 and discuss how God seeks to guide his children. Thank you for watching.
Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.